Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Fritz Games, and uh, I am one of the pastors here along with Murray. Uh, we are looking at Revelation chapter 21 this morning. You can go and turn there if you have a Bible, or scroll there if you have an ancient scroll. So I asked Murray, I said, how long has it been since we did this illustration from the last battle? And he said, you can never do it enough. And I know, I don't actually quote C.S. Lewis that often, so just bear with me. But the last battle in his Chronicles of Narnia has become my favorite book because it's so hopeful. And uh, as many of you know, this is how it ends, uh, where Aslan is describing what has happened and what's coming. He says this, um, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Don't you just want that? Don't you just long for that? And that is where we are this morning. The last battle is over. We are, we are at the first chapter of the beginning of the true story. We have seen a series of vision after vision. I saw, I saw, I heard. And today, finally at chapter 21, we begin the final vision. The vision to end all visions. The new heavens and the new earth. We have said over and over that in this book, what God is doing is He is preparing a place for His people and He is preparing His people for a place. God is preparing, we will see today, a very real, tangible, physical, literal place for a real, physical, literal, stunningly beautiful people. And that's you. And we get to marinate in this for the next four weeks. So let's join John, our tour guide, so to speak, our messenger by Jesus to the churches. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Hear again the reading of God's Word. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, 
new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's again pray. Oh God, we are so glad to get to chapter 21. We are so glad that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, there is one consistent story. And God, as you have laid that out before us, we pray that indeed today you would allow us to see our glorious, beautiful future in Christ. And that that would equip us to live faithfully in this world as a people not under judgment, in a world that is under judgment until Christ returns and makes all things new. And Father, for those who do not believe this message, I pray that You would indeed kindly and graciously and with Your powerful hand give them eyes to see and give them ears to hear that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow today that they may be made new. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. ALS, or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, what many of you know is Lou Gehrig's disease, writes my uncle who was diagnosed about a year ago. He says it is a game changer. We have people in our church that are in the throes of this as well. He writes, there is currently no cure yet. It forces you to look at your life with deeper consideration and appreciation. My wife and I are choosing to not look too far ahead, just far enough to make responsible decisions. My uncle is one of the most optimistic happiest, always in a good mood, loving people I know. 
And yet, as I finally got a minute with him to sit in his office, and I said, Marty, you seem like you're doing really good for a man with this diagnosis. And at that point, he stopped looking just a little ways ahead. And you could see him shift all the way too far ahead. And he began to break down uncontrollably. What I want us to do today is I want us to look ahead, not just to tomorrow, the end of May, get to the summer. I don't want us to think about even just what's coming for all of us. As I told my uncle, you are simply leading the way. We are all headed here. We are going to die unless Jesus returns. But what Revelation 21 and 22 do is they allow us to look further ahead to our eternal, glorious future. And that is what I want us to do. I think that is what John wants the churches that he is writing to today. As Murray said, we can get in this singular perspective when all we see is right in front of us and we miss the greater picture of where it is all headed beyond our sufferings and what we might go through in this life, whether it is physical ailments or whether you are misunderstood as a Christian and you end up in prison for your faith and you don't retaliate and give an eye for an eye, but you love your enemy and you may even die for them. And as you're in that moment, you are thinking, this better be true. And John is saying it absolutely is. You have a glorious future as the Heidelberg Catechism quoted Paul in saying that no eye can conceive this. No heart, no matter how great of an artist, can imagine this. That God is preparing a glorious place for His people. And God is preparing His people for that glorious place. So I want us to look at this under four headings today. The last one I changed from certain to free, though we'll use the word certainty. But the first thing I want us to see from our text, and we're not going to cover everything in this text. I'm going to cover some things in this particular text next week because he gives us several images that he plays out in the next two chapters. But the first thing I want us to see in our text is the idea of newness. That everything will be made new. Again, where are we in the book of Revelation? Most commentators say that this is actually the climax of the book of Revelation. Think about that. If you think like I do, I was an English major, and you typically think, okay, rising action, then the climax, somewhere in the middle of the book, or maybe two-thirds in, and then falling action, and the what? Say it, kids. Denouement. Nobody? Okay. Y'all got to liven up today. Sorry. 
I want to know that you're tracking with me. All right. The climax here comes at the end of the book. And I think that's intentional. God is saying, you aren't in the climax right now. You're still in the rising action. Murray and I were discussing finally arriving here, and he said, Woo! Chapter 6 through 20, oh, that was so hard. And we waded through every chapter of that book because it's scripture and it's profitable. And it's leading us to chapter 21, the climax. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. John is saying the first thing that I want you to see about what's coming is that it is new. The first heaven and the first earth, everything that you see and know will pass away. And we use that phrase, pass away, for what? For death. Someone is passed away. John says this world as you know it will, in so many words, die. It is not eternal. It is not forever. If you want something to read in this light, go home today and read Psalm 49, especially if you're young and you're tempted to think this world is everything and all that it offers, and the deception of that. He further says, the sea was no more. If I had a nickel for every time commentators said, the Old Testament people were not seafaring people. They didn't like the sea. That's great. They thought the sea was where sort of evil was from. It was this idea of chaos and disorder. So it's not saying that there won't be a literal sea in a new heavens and a new earth, but everything involved with evil will be no more. Look at verse 4. He writes that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8 prophesied that the Lord, the Lord will wipe tears away from all His eyes or all of our eyes. Now think about this for a minute and go back to chapter 1. If you remember chapter 1, the great picture of Jesus, remember the robe and and the the eyes of, of blazing fire, right? And He was so glorious and almost untouchable. And yet what was He doing with His powerful hand? We said He was palming the churches like a basketball. He's that powerful. And yet, what is he doing with that hand right here? He is wiping away the tears from his people's eyes. Look again at verse 4. He continues in what I call the land of the no mores. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you hear what he's saying? What's coming, what's so new, involves a lot of things dying. No more death. No more crying. We had good friends stay the night with us. And they had their 15-month-old. And about 12.36, I was awakened to what a lot of you endure and what I have forgotten about. 
I have a whole new respect if you stay awake during the sermon, if you have children. But he's saying there will be no more piercing cries in the middle of the night. There will be no more hunger, no more drought. And bear with me here, and I want you to think about this and imagine this in your heart and mind. No more cancer. No more diabetes. No more surgery. No more preparation for surgery. No more ALS. No more achy muscles and arthritis. No more nasty divorces. No more court. Some of you will be out of jobs. No more arguments. No more misunderstandings. No more school shootings. No more self-righteousness. No more ER. No more, not the show, but the actual ER. No more sin. No more evil. No more racism. No more pride. No more dementia. No more lust. No more lying. No more AIDS. No more sexual immorality. No more confusion of gender. No more deep battle inside. No more schism in the church. No more issues between different nationalities. No more wars. No more rumors of wars. No more being misunderstood as a Christian and your love is actually called hate. No more of that. No more prisons. No more abuse. No more poverty. As one of my friends said, here's one of my favorites. No more computer passwords. Ever. Woo! No more living in a world under judgment as a people not under judgment. Isaiah 43 says it like this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? That's a great question for the church right now. Every blog, everything you read, every tweet is about you got to be in one camp or the other and you got to throw stones and you got to be right. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing something beautiful and new and good. Do you perceive it? Now, Isaiah 65 says the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Do you realize you will not have one more bad memory ever? Verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. Notice that's the present tense. There are two ways to interpret this. I'll get to the second in a minute. But one way to interpret this is that the new creation is already underway. It's inaugurated. It's in the works. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, John wrote that Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. He is the first fruit. 2 Corinthians 5, maybe your favorite verse, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. In other words, if you're a Christian, you are the inaugurated eschatology is the big word we like. It's one of my favorite words in theology, eschatology, last things, end things. But they're bleeding back into the present you are God's future in the presence. You are living 
proof of what God is going to do. In other words, look, here's the point. The newness that you long for is coming and has already come. The good, the true, the beautiful future that some of you have cynically pushed to the side. It can't happen until Jesus returns. It's all bad. It's not true. It has come. It has been inaugurated. And it is coming. Let me give you a couple quick examples. Last year we supported my good friend Brian Howard doing international ministry at Clemson University. He has a student from Russia that gets together with him weekly to study the Bible. Do you know why? Because she went back home and she saw all that was going on and she came back and she said, I'm hopeless. And he said, you know, the Bible talks a little bit about hope. And she says, I want to hear more. The carries that Murray prayed for They're telling of of refugees that are starting to come into their Bible studies and into churches, never hearing the gospel before. I talked to someone yesterday as we did tornado work down in Bowling Green that one of the men that we helped, he's coming to their church now. Everything was taken away from him, and yet God is doing something new. When I was a child... My favorite Christmas, this is going to surprise no one, my parents didn't give us a lot throughout the year. They were kind, provided everything, but we had to work for things. We had to buy our own things, all that good stuff. But the one time a year they would just get generous was Christmas. So I'd ask. And One year my brother and I asked for red BMX bikes. And I remember I got up about 4.30 The only time of year I got up early. And I snuck into that den and I peeked around that corner and the Christmas lights were on. We weren't worried about our house burning down. And there were these two candy apple red beautiful BMX bikes with black handlebars and mag rim. I mean, it was so, I I just stood there and looked at them. But you know what? You and I both know Where are those bikes now? (laughs) See, the newness wears off, whether it's a new house or new windows or a new you or a new car or a new job or a new relationship. This promise in Scripture is that all things will be made new. That longing that we have, a newness that never gets old. Secondly, it is a new heavens and a new earth. The sky above, the earth beneath, the waters below. God is going to make all things new. If you notice how the Bible is set up, Genesis 1, first creation. Revelation 21 and 22, second, new creation. Do you see that? In Revelation, or in Genesis chapter 1, God creates out of what? Nothing. Ex nihilo. I know one Latin word and that's it. Sorry, all you Latin students. But I did learn a second one. Ex aliqua. Out of something. Do you see what's happening here? 
God will, in a sense, and don't let me confuse you here, this is a little confusing. God will, in a sense, do away with this world, but He'll do away with it by transforming it. God will do away with the old creation. He will abolish it in some way, and yet He will do a do-over. He will renew it, reconstitute it. Some commentators said even the word transfigure it, redeem it. In other words, this heaven and earth will be redeemed. There will be continuity. There will be discontinuity. Let me explain. The word that he uses here in Greek for new is kainos. It means new in quality, not in time. In other words, he's not ex nihiloing it, making something out of nothing. He's taking what was there and he's transforming it. He's doing away with it and yet he's replacing it and yet he's renewing it. Be confused, that's okay. The Bible actually says it like this in Romans 8. The earth stands on its tiptoe awaiting God to redeem it, to free it from the curse. Hebrews 1 says it like this. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. This material universe that is right under your feet, that pew in front of you that's made out of wood, will be changed. It will be transformed into a sparkling, new, physical, imperishable, eternal, perfect, united cosmos. That's what he's saying. That's what the Bible is saying. How, what, Fritz, give me more details. The Bible doesn't. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't actually say much about heaven. What it does say is we can't explain it. The no eye, no imagining. Paul says, I was taken up into the third heavens. I can't articulate what it's like. I do not have language for it. It is like Fritz trying to explain trigonometry. Forget it. But the best analogy that we have is Jesus' resurrected body. It was the same, but it was different. There was continuity and there was discontinuity. They could recognize Jesus. He even had the prints of the nails in his hands, didn't he? But oh, he was different. He just appeared even though, as the Bible clearly makes a point to tell us, the doors were locked. And he wasn't like pulling the God card. C.S. Lewis says that his body was so weighty, so solid, so eternal, so resurrected, that the wood of this earth was like gas, nothing. And that's what your body is going to be like. Did you know that? Do you think upon these things? Or are you just focused on your current body and your current problems? Physical matter matters. Let's be honest. As Reformed people, we typically are Gnostic. We stay in the clouds. 
And we, it's almost like we're afraid to enjoy good things and we have to give ourselves permission or make excuses for enjoying good things. I went for a swim today. Y'all don't do that. No, just me. I spent money on this. Great. That's a cool whatever. Can we say that? This material universe, this physical matter matters. We are not going to be these ethereal, cloud-like beings on clouds or other with harps. But this actual earth will be made new. This is why when they asked Martin Luther, if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow, what would you do? He said, plant a tree. Just think about that. It's the same reason that Joni, Johnny, have you, have people pronounce her name differently. I'm sure there's a correct pronunciation. She was asked one time, she used to love to ride horses before her accident. She became a paraplegic, famous Christian writer, author, etc., speaker. And she would have people take her out to watch people ride horses. And she was being interviewed and someone asked her, why do you do this to yourself? Why do you punish yourself? And this was her answer. So I don't forget how to ride a horse. Because she knew that one day she would have a new body on a new earth. And yes, children, there will be animals, as far as I understand the Bible, on this new earth. Why wouldn't there be? They were in the first creation why wouldn't they be in the next creation? Maybe they'll fly. Maybe a horse will fly then. I don't know. That's just, who knows? I met a trail builder recently, this older man. He and his dog were out, and he was taking a break. And he had built this beautiful several miles of like hand-built trail, just perfectly rocks, and I just love, one of the things I just love. And I looked at him and I said, sir, I don't know you. Uh, I'm a minister. And I'm just going to say in the name of God, what you did honors God. And it's beautiful. And I wasn't sure how he was going to respond. You never know. And he said, I've always said heaven is right under your feet. And I went, hmm. I'm going to figure out a way to put that in a sermon. Do you like woodworking? Do you like music, photography, dancing, art, drama, cooking, restoring cars, gardening, animals? You'll feel at home in the new heavens and the new earth. Thirdly, new, new heavens and earth Adorn. I'm going to say way more about this next week. He gives us three images here of, of a bride and a city and a temple. We'll look at that next week. But I just want to say one thing about the bride image in verse 2. The city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepares a bride adorned for her husband. The word there in Greek for prepared means made ready. And what it is, you see this image how... This city, this bride, is coming down out of heaven 
And as all the Bible says, and in Revelation chapter 19 said, that this bride is prepared by someone else. Do you see what it's saying? Grace. The people in the new heavens and the new earth are there by grace. You don't prepare and adorn yourself. That is called works righteousness. Whether it is a religious version or a cultural progressive version that we're virtue signaling and want to show people how righteous we are, God says, I'll have none of that. This bride, this city is adorned from God. This is why Christianity is different from every other message. Romans 1 says it like this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God from God is revealed. You know when some of our greatest problems and frustrations begin is when we go back to relying on our own adornment and preparing ourselves and looking at our growth or lack of growth and saying, God loves me based on this. Not true. God does the adorning. God does the preparing. This is from heaven. And here's the beautiful thing. Again, we'll talk about this more next week. It is a beautiful new heavens and a new earth, but it is a beautiful and a new you. Who is he describing? Who is this city? Who is this bride? It's the church. The beautiful, good, and true future that we long for is coming and has been inaugurated. And here's the best part. The good and the beautiful and the true you that you long to be is going to happen. You will be completely transformed into a glorious bride prepared for Jesus. You don't do that work. You work at it, but God does the work. C.H. Spurgeon said this in yesterday's little devotional. It's the only time in my life I'm probably going to say Spurgeon was wrong, but here, hang with me here. I agree with this part. He says, we are co-heirs with Christ. The boundless realms of His Father's universe are Christ by prescriptive right. He is the heir of all things and He is the sole proprietor of the vast creation of God. And here's the kicker. He has admitted us, the church, to claim it as ours. All of this is ours. Now here's where I disagree. The golden streets of paradise, the pearly gates, the river of life, the unutterable glory. In other words, what we'll explain next week it's not so much what he's saying here is that we're going to walk on streets of gold. We may, we may not. I don't know. This is a figurative description of a city bride temple. And that city bride temple is you, the church. In other words, what he is saying is very clearly this. It's not so much walking on streets of gold. And I know this is new for some of us. But it is that you will be a street of gold. You will be a secure 
city. And that is encouraging. Because if you're a Christian, you want to change, don't you? And God is promising that change. Finally, free. The certainty is here from your outline. But again, think of the context of these seven churches and all the churches that John is writing to and obviously to us as well. Remember, the call of Revelation is to endure, to keep going. You you see friends of yours drift off the path or you see people you've known for years all of a sudden abandon the faith or I don't believe that anymore. It's not this or it's not that or it's just not... You know, I was taught these things. And and John is saying that's going to happen all the time in the life of the church. People are going to fall away. They're going to drift. Maybe your own heart feels that right now. You just feel like giving up and saying, I just can't do this anymore. And John is saying that might actually be your entry into the kingdom of heaven. You might be finally understanding the gospel because you can't do it. You never could. Because this promise, this certain promise that he talks about in verse 5, write this down, these words are trustworthy and true. It is done, you can bank on it. I'm the Alpha and the Omega from the beginning and the end. I'm sovereign, I'm competent. I have the power to do this. All of these great things. But he's saying this unto saying, you can't do this. Your qualification for this is simply... To admit your thirst. Listen to how he says it. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Do you see what he's saying? Conquering is is continuing to remember that it's okay to be thirsty. And that God actually, in a sense, rewards thirst. And He says to people who come to Him and say, I'm thirsty, here's a spring of the water of life. But look what He says in verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers. You're going, well, that's me. I'm, one, I'm all of those things. Yes, you are. If you're a Christian, what you have done is you've taken this list and you can add about a hundred sins to it and say, that's me. And what has happened in the gospel is you said, I've come to Jesus and I've said, Jesus, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be seen as that. I don't even want to live like that. I am thirsty. Help me. You're a conqueror. But notice about this list, this is fascinating. What does he start with before he gets to all these behavioral sins? Like murder, sexual immorality. What does he start with? A lack of what? You see it? A lack of courage. The cowardly. Where you're like, oh, those are people who are just cowardly and they, you know, they don't want to go to prison. Yeah, that's true. But let me explain it this way. Every once in a while, and recently I got the email. Friend of mine in the ministry did something. And I don't, I don't know, it's not my business, but he maybe he stole or maybe he cheated on his wife. 
and he's been deposed, he's been disciplined or whatever. That's, that's, that's a problem, right? Whatever he did to get himself in that place. But what was the problem before that problem? Brother, cry out for help. Just, just pick up the phone. You know so many people that you could just reach out to and go, I'm drowning. I'm about to do something really stupid. Okay, we love you. We're going to help you, brother. It's a form of cowardice, saying, I'm not that thirsty. I don't need that help, or I'm afraid. See, the invitation of the gospel, the invitation of this new heavens and this new earth and this new people is very, very simple. It's simply thirst. I am thirsty. Imagine this. One of the days that my dad, and he worked us hard, he put us to work on a new levee, built this pond, and we had to scatter hay. It's the middle of the Mississippi summer heat, and of course he didn't think about water a whole lot, and whatever water we had, we ran out of, and it's, it's the thirstiest I can remember being, just parched with thirst, and we were in, into the evening. Of course, he made us work till the job was done. And I remember looking up on the hill, and my mother came down the hill with this tray of Big K root beers. Now, can you imagine me at that point going, I'm not thirsty. I don't need that. It's the only time I've ever downed anything. And God says, are you thirsty? I will I will give you from the spring of the water of life. If you're thirsty, come. Let's pray. God, we don't have the invitations to walk the aisle like maybe some of us grew up with, but there is certainly an invitation here that we don't have to be afraid to come, that we even can risk believing that there is someone that can quench our thirst for this beautiful new heavens and new earth and this beautiful new people of God that are stunningly beautiful, that we can be courageous enough to, to risk believing that cynicism is not going to win, that our future is trustworthy and true because Jesus died to inaugurate it and he was resurrected to begin this new creation would you make us a church that is beautiful and stunning in a world under judgment as a people that are not under judgment that are new we ask you in Christ's name amen